This is Igris. We are not looking at letters from exactly 50 years ago right now, as we have discussed for the rest of this week. I think this might be our last one where we're uh, off the beaten path. We've been doing the past few times since we are a little bit ahead of schedule for our letters from exactly 50 years ago, is we're jumping around Igris and finding anything that we've found interesting that we haven't gotten a chance to really dive into. So something that we kind of left on the cutting floor, I don't know, uh, 20 classes ago, 30 classes ago, was the Dead Sea Scrolls. We came across them briefly, and we read the letter, but it was only kind of as an aside. We, we wanted to get into it properly. So yesterday, we began exploring the Rebbe's approach to archaeological findings. Our overall question was, what do we do when new information, research, excavations, documents, whatever, become available that seem legitimate and suggest the documents that, we've ha- that, that we have uh, were corrupted over time? That's definitely what most people think when they find, for example, a Torah scroll from 2,000 years ago that has different words than what is in our scroll. It's also a standing assumption, I guess, that whatever we find in the ground is authoritative and more authoritative than what we find on our bookshelves or in the Aron Kedish. So it's sort of a standing conceit when it comes to stuff we find in archaeological discoveries, that that's probably the way things really were, and we probably got messed up over time. Uh, and that's the way the world sees things. How does the Rebbe see things? We looked at that a little bit yesterday. It's safe to say from what we saw yesterday that the Rebbe does not agree with that way of looking at things. Uh, As we saw yesterday, the Rebbe adopts an assumption found in Bach, actually. It's found in the Bach, on Tur, that any text that we find buried in the ground was probably put there on purpose. It was probably discarded and put in the ground because it was inaccurate. Meaning that if we find ancient tefillin, like in the Bach, or Dead Sea Scrolls, and they're not the same as what we have right now, odds are that some amateur wrote them, he did a bad job, he wrote them incorrectly, and so he had to bury them, and we're finding things buried or in a Geniza because they're not that good in the first place. Uh, it's noteworthy that this Shita would call all Geniza findings into question. You know, we, we rely heavily on things that are found in various community Genizas as authoritative. The Rebbe says, I'm not sure why you would, given that we only put things in Geniza that are no good, or frequently put things in Geniza that are no good. The Rebbe reminds us in some of these letters to pit the uncertainty of archaeological discoveries against the near certainty in mere logic that a people who has passed something down without interruption probably did it faithfully. Uh, we then looked at the menorah that's depicted on the Arch of Titus. The Rebbe makes almost the exact same point when it comes to the Arch of Titus. We don't know how accurate the drawing was meant to be. We don't know that they were drawing the main temple menorah instead of some other side lamp that they plundered from the temple. So given the uncertainties inherent in archaeology and the certainty of the Torah, uh, plus the fact that logically it makes sense that an oral transmission is probably more reliable than things we find in the ground, we side with Torah every time, both, I guess, religiously and logically. It makes sense to side with the Torah over archaeological findings. I wanted to add, just as an aside, this has nothing to do with Igris, but I'd feel bad not mentioning it. Uh, This approach that the Rebbe is taking is way ahead of its time. The Rebbe was saying this in the 1960s. He was saying that we should consider a culture's oral history or the documents it's written down and take that into account as historical fact uh, over anything that we find while we're digging around archaeologically. This was not at all what people thought in the 60s. A bunch of European and American white people would go into these native communities or these Arab communities, and the Arabs or the natives there or the Africans or whatever would tell them, this is what happened throughout our history, and they would say, you're ridiculous, you don't know anything. they dig in the ground and come to their own conclusions. And this was the way that archaeology was done until about 10 years ago. About 10 years ago, there was a new movement in archaeology that said, hey, we're finding stuff in the ground. We're not sure exactly what those things say. And these people, they very seriously have guarded their traditions and histories. Maybe we should figure that into the studies. And now there's a new school of archaeology that's doing exactly what the Rebbe said to do with our work. So it's very interesting. The Rebbe was way ahead of his time, as usual, when he was saying that uh, just in the science itself of archaeology, it doesn't make sense to discard our constant tradition that we've been defending because we found something in the ground. Anyway. 
That's all yesterday. Today, we're going to look at something slightly different. We want to say, we want to find out what the Rebbe does when we find Hisveyad, old manuscripts that are considered reliable. And these manuscripts suggest that our Torah and our Tanakh might not be the most reliable version. What if I dig in the ground and I find a Torah scroll and we can date it and that Torah scroll is 2,000 years old and it has uh, an Aleph where the base should be by Bracious. Who do I trust? The Torah that I have now in the Aaron or a reliable Torah that I found from 2,000 years ago? Now, if I find it in a Geniza, we already kind of know the Rebbe's answer from the Dead Sea Scrolls. What if it's not found in a Geniza? What if, for example, we discover the Aleppo Codex, which is something that we do have. We have the Aleppo Codex. I'm going to tell you a little bit about it today. But the Aleppo Codex was uh, was safely was uh, carefully guarded by the Syrian Jewish community for many years. We have about a third of it now in Israel in the libraries. It is the manuscript that Rambam used to figure out where you make the breaks in Torah in the Torah. So if you know in Mishnah Torah, that really, I don't want to say boring part, but you know, it's a slightly boring part. A Mishnah Torah where he just lists exactly where all the paragraph breaks should be when you're writing a Torah. He pulled that from the Aleppo Codex, something that he had a chance to look at. It's a very old text. We've kept track of it for a long time. And when we sit down and look at the Aleppo Codex, we put it right next to our current Tanakh, it doesn't say exactly the same things. It's not major differences. There's Nakuda differences. Also, most of the Torah isn't found. So a lot of these problems are in Nach or in Nevi'im and Ksuvim. What does the Rebbe do with these things? When the Aleppo Codex becomes available, does the Rebbe say we should update our Tanakhs or that we should stick with what we've had when we find legitimate old sources? So that's what we're looking at today. Uh, first, we're going to look at a letter, letter from to uh, Rabbi Zevin. I told you yesterday, Rabbi Zevin is like always the one asking the Rebbe about archaeology. This is one of his things. And at the time, he was working on a new comprehensive Tanakh. And the project that he was working on, he wanted to take uh, traditional commentaries and sort of mix them in with modern commentaries, along with data that had been found from old codices that had been brought to libraries in recent years. So they wanted to bring in uh, different different pieces from the Aleppo Codex, from the Leningrad Codex, another another reliable, fairly reliable text that shows what the Torah uh, was written like a couple thousand years ago. He wanted to and he wanted to put these into sort of a modern slash scientific slash archaeological commentary on Tanakh, and he wrote to the Rebbe asking for a brach. And the Rebbe told him, basically, yeah, go right ahead. It's a good idea. Depend as long as you do it right. So this is our first letter we're looking at. This letter is from volume Chaf. It's from the year Tavshin Chaf Aleph. And uh, I didn't, oh, there we go. It's letter Zion Tav Ches. I only brought you the middle of the letter because this is the part where the Rebbe talks about, about the, his concerns. But again, regarding the actual act that you want to do, writing this commentary on Tanakh, that will incorporate more recent archaeological textual findings. The Rebbe says, I think it's a good idea. Go for it. But there are rules only. Uh, says, only if good people are involved in the project. The conditions are the people who put it together need to be trustworthy. And after that, it needs to be looked over by people who are also trustworthy to make sure that it's done properly. So if you do this properly, says the Rebbe, if it's done in a respectful way and an intelligent way, it makes a lot of sense to take legitimate old codices and try to interpolate them into modern commentaries. The Rebbe is not against using the stuff that we find that seems reliable. Excuse me. I'm going to explain myself to whatever it says. When it comes to the fundamentals here, when you're doing putting these commentaries together, the Etzim Dover are putting together old commentaries and new commentaries, beginning with Rashi and continuing in the Tzudas David and in the Tzudas Tzien, who we're going to see in the next letter that I specifically wants incorporated into this commentary. They have particular reliability, these sources, the early sources. 
I'll just note, I didn't know what Parshandasa was. Parshandasa is apparently what Rashi Anach is called. I didn't know this. It's a great, it's a funny name because Parshandasa, you remember from, from, uh, from Megillus Esther. V.A.'s Parshandasa. All right, it says Parshandasa. Anyway, because he's the Parsh, whatever, Parshan and Data. When we deal with these commentaries, we know we're safe because they worked on interpreting Tanakh uh, that fits according to its context. What do I mean by that? They understood what they were doing. They were not trying to figure out what the words mean. They were trying to do Aveda. This was their Aveda Hashem when they were translating. They knew that they were translated, that they were, that they were commenting on the Teres Hashem. Sefer Svarim, the book of all books. They didn't have any, any side goals. They didn't have any, um, any biases. They didn't even have spiritual biases. They also didn't have any particular need to show off how much they knew, that they, that they know everything and that there's nothing they're missing. One proof. But Rashi says in a lot of places, I have no idea. So clearly their goal here is not to show how smart they are. So Rebbe says, one of the reasons why the old commentaries, you're writing a new commentary, and that's great. But the one of the reasons why the old commentaries are so reliable is because they weren't trying to prove anything. And this was their Aveda. For them, this was like davening. They weren't really even trying to translate words and say exactly what the Torah means. They were trying to do Aveda Hashem. And their Aveda Hashem, the Melecha Sakedish, without any biases, was just to get the Torah to say the truth. This uh, further emphasizes how reliable they are. Another reason why they're so reliable is because they had a Maserah. They weren't just, Rashi didn't just write his commentary based on what Pop into Rashi's head, he had a tradition going back from generation to generation when explaining the Ksuvim Lamitasam and how to explain verses according to their proper meaning. Vikara Levade, the Rebbe says, it's almost certain that many of the Perushim that Rashi uses came from generations even before the writing of the Sifrei Tanakh, that a lot of the things that Rashi writes down are things we got at Sinai or before any of the Sifrei Tanakh were written down. That really flips this one on its head, this last line here. Rambam, when it comes to Hebrew, often says, that sometimes over time we've forgotten what certain words mean in commentaries. So that would sound like a weakness of our tradition. The Rebbe says, no, that's a strength of our tradition. That means there was a Maserah for them. Meaning that if I have a commentary that makes it to my hands and I don't understand what some of the words mean, that means the commentary is older than my usage of the language. So the fact that we have some very old interpretations of Chumash that have words in it we don't know isn't a, def- isn't a proof that we've lost something. It's a proof that we still have very, very old things, so old that we've forgotten the language. So the Rebbe here is making a case that although you're going to write something new that's going to interpret, that's going to include these new findings, you have to keep in mind there's something really special about the old about the old information. The old information is way more reliable. Avopikein, the Rebbe says, even so, since there's been a change in style and a lot of things that used to be very simple, Rashi wrote something and everybody understood. Nowadays, maybe it's not so simple anymore. So it's good for you to put together a perish that will help us understand what some of the older commentaries are really talking about. So we can look at what prior generations did. They allowed translation into Lush into Yiddish, into Ivritaich. This is not a new idea. This, taking the old commentaries and brushing them up so a modern audience can understand them is not new. So if what you're telling me you want to do is sort of update the commentaries and make them more understandable, absolutely go right for it. I think it's a good idea as long as the right people are involved in it. Says the only rule is the same rule that Chazal always set up which 
which is that you can have new wine. Uh, you can have, excuse me, uh, you must, you can have a new vessel as long as the wine is old. That is, as long as you keep the same wine in the barrel, you can certainly update the barrel. So as long as you make sure that you are still, uh, that you're still saying what the old commentary said, feel free to update it using the language of science, using the language of archaeology. If you want to update what Rashi says using the language of modern science and modern thought, that's fine. But make sure you're still saying what Rashi says, because you're not allowed to update Rashi according to science. You're allowed to update the way we describe Rashi to the world according to scientific discoveries, according to changes in language, according to changes in understanding. So their goal here had been to make a sort of scholarly commentary on Tanakh. And the rabbi goes, you can do that, but only if you keep the same commentaries and update them in, in signa and update them in style. Uh, these are the same perushim, these are the same commentaries that uh, the G'dayli Yisrael have relied on for generations in past, many previous generations. Once again, he mentions the big three that he wants to see in this commentary on Tanakh, Rashi, Mitzvah Stavin, Mitzvah Tzian. Okay. Um, we don't need anything else here. So the Rebbe is saying, basically, I'm okay with you in 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 including new findings, but only if they don't change anything about the old findings. Now, Rabbi Zevin clearly misunderstood this letter a little bit uh, because Rabbi Zevin took from this that as long as he had good people involved on the team, he could basically bring in Bible criticism. He could basically bring in um, uh, modern archaeology. He didn't, I, I don't think he understood what the Rebbe was saying because the Rebbe, I don't have his letter, but I know what the Rebbe wrote back to him. And the Rebbe says, you completely misunderstood me. So we have the next letter here in the series. And the Rebbe writes, The first part of the letter, I'm sorry, this is labeled Zion, Tav Kuf Nun Ches. This is from the year Tav Shin Chaf Aleph. And the whole intro is about him becoming chief rabbi. But down here on Gimli says, Regarding the commentary on Tanakh, Professor dot dot dot. It sounds like you want to do some sort of a scientific commentary from Professor so and so. So that's what they, they told the devil. We, we picked a certain professor. He's going to take an academic approach to our commentary and uh, we'll do it your way. And the Rebbe says, you're speaking like I told you this was okay. I'm shocked to hear this. I'm very surprised to hear that you think that I approve this. This is, uh, it seems to me, this is the first time I'm hearing about this commentary. Obviously, the Rebbe had heard about his idea earlier, but the Rebbe did not understand that he was going to be infusing Bible critics, that he was going to be using uh, scientists, secular archaeologists. He did not think that. He thought that like Rabbanim were going to just, you know, explain Rashi in, a mod in modern terminology. After the Rebbe says, it's possible that I didn't remember it because it was so insignificant to me. Also, according to the points in your letter, uh, based on what you've told me in the letter, this person is not at all fit to be putting together a traditional commentary on Tanakh. We do not want this professor, whoever he was, putting together this commentary. That which I told you earlier, and I don't think we have this in the letter. This must have been another conversation. We don't have it in Igris anywhere. That which I told you, that'd be a good idea to incorporate different that we might have found maybe in the Aleppo Codex or maybe in the Leningrad Codex and maybe different versions. At the time, I did explain what I meant. For who? Professor Kittel. I want you to do it like Professor Kittel did. Now, you should know Professor Kittel's a guy, uh, although his name sounds super Jewish, Kittel. Professor Kittel was a Protestant, I believe, and he was one of the first Bible critics to publish an entire Tanakh. And uh, in his Bible criticism Tanakh, 
he was very careful, as the Rebbe is going to say here, to never change the actual text, just to write around the text. He would keep the text and its original, and then say, I think this should be like this. So he was a, he was, he was, it was a kefir, but he was a kefir in the margins. He was never a kefir in the text. In the side notes, in the footnotes, on the sides of the page, he brought other versions that were in other sifrei terah that have been printed, or other Certainly, I was not giving you any permission to be involved in Bible criticism. That's Bikarisa Mikra. That's Bible criticism. God forbid. I was I was not expecting you to uh, to do what you're planning on doing. So the Rebbe completely rejects the proposal that we should be able to take other 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 prints, other Sifrei Terah, and fundamentally change the text. The Rebbe was saying that if somebody who's a Yiddish Shemaim wants to incorporate into the modern commentary, into the existing commentaries, other gear sites and maybe footnotes, that might be a nice idea, but certainly not to change anything. Uh, the Rebbe then says here in Dalib, there's just an interesting note here. He says, why do I mention And he says, these are particularly powerful commentaries. They're mentioned in Chassidus in a few places. And uh, these are also the main commentaries that were taught in Chadarim throughout the generations. So just for people who are interested in Tanakh, you should know that Rebbe has a particular love for the Mitzudah Stavin and the Mitzudah Tzian, in addition to Rashi, has two major commentaries on Nach. The Rebbe continues, When you write, why can't I put out a new Perush? Because it sounds like they want to be Mechadish a little bit, put out the original commentaries and some novel ideas. Says it sounds like people put, I mean, people throughout the generations have been putting out new Chidushim. Why can't we get a bunch of rabbis together and put out a new commentary on Tanakh? And here the Rebbe says, that it says by the uh, that the that the that the Alta says this. It's brought in Ayin Bays that every I didn't I I think I heard this once, but I totally had forgotten it. If you want to know when Ruach HaKedosh stopped being in commentary, it was the Taz and the Shach. The Taz and the Shach were the last two people to get Ruach HaKedosh in their commentaries. And from that point on, people who write commentaries do not do so with Ruach HaKedosh. Obviously, it doesn't apply to Chassidus, which is But for everything else, if anybody else is writing Chidushim uh, after the Shach and Taz, they don't have Ruach HaKedosh anymore. So based on this, he doesn't want him writing a new commentary on Tanakh because he won't have Ruach HaKedosh. And down in Vav, he says, I want to point out, the real shock is on people who don't want to rely on the old interpretations. At least the Pshat ones. I understand if some people say they don't want to rely on old Midrashic interpretations, but why are people so upset with the with the, with, with Rashi's Pshat? Even if you bring in recent discoveries, that's certainly fine to put in. A, you should be a, a good enough to put in a footnote. We certainly don't need a completely new commentary to be built on recent findings. If you have something new that you want to tell us, put it in a quick footnote that here there's a different girsa, that in Syria we found a different girsa. This certainly doesn't justify a new commentary. When you think about the situation that our generation is in, I think there's an et cetera, et cetera. I think it's just kind of where we're already pretty weak spiritually or weak in our amuna. The last thing we need is a new commentary saying that the Maserah is wrong. God forbid. The Nebuchadnezzar here says, I'm not going to read this bit inside, but I'll tell you what it says outside. It's very interesting. He says here that... Uh, I really, you know, I'm going to read it inside. It's too good to miss. We might just not get to our last letter uh, because this is, it's too good to miss. Something surprising you might find is that the new generation wants the primary sources. They want to see the old sources. They don't want to, they don't want you to bring in new ideas. They want to know what Rashi said. Those who in their youth fought the maskilim, fought the people who were who back then were pushing against Terah. They think the new generation wants to fight too and there's no reason for them to fight anymore. He's saying, 
that uh, the reason why you're putting out this commentary, why are you putting out a scholastic academic commentary, bunch of Haredi Rabbanim? And the answer is that you're still fighting a fight that isn't being fought anymore. You're still trying to convince intellectual academics to be on your side and to and to embrace some aspect of Torah. Says the Rebbe, the new generation is not a bunch of academics who hate Torah. The new generation actually would like to know what Rashi says. They're not, so you're fighting an old war. Uh, and those who in their youth fought the maskilim are using the old strategies of trying to convince them, use some of their texts. Uh, look, we're scientific too. Look, we're archaeological too. This, this isn't necessary anymore. The new generation, says the Rebbe, doesn't need to see that you come from a professor's background. The new generation wants to hear the primary sources from the Jews. They want to know Rashi. They think that the new generation wants to fight with them too, and they're wrong. And therefore, they are grabbing onto weapons and strategies that are unneeded. So you're trying to bring in these, these new commentaries to try to capture the new generation. The new generation doesn't want this style. Since a, a unneeded weapon is considered not beautiful, when it comes to uh, spirituality, it's also damaging to be using weapons uh, in spirituality that are not needed. Apologetics. Um, we have we've had and the Rebbe then adds that when it, that this new way of doing things, uh, where we where we say no, really we're bringing in the archaeology and the science and things like that. Uh, it's nowadays called apologetics. It's called apologizing essentially for the Torah or making excuses. And uh, it's it's given us uh, it's given us suffering until this day. And then he lists some of the famous apologists of the Jewish people who have tried to appeal to their generation in order to get them back on track. And all it's done is cause problems for us nowadays. And he lists some of them. This is one of the Rebbe's favorite slash least favorite. This is the one where the uh, the Drush or Chaim of the Ferris Yisrael is one that most modern Orthodox Jews quote when they say that the universe is in fact several billion years old because he says that you can really reconcile billions of years with six days of creation. The Rebbe says this is one example of someone who tried to meet science halfway and cause trouble for us because now we have to contend with people saying this is real terror. Sifrei Arav Hirsch. The books of Rav Hirsch. Rav Hirsch uh, was a uh, Shamshir Rafal Hirsch was a big tzaddik, very special person. But also, he was incre- He was deeply involved in apologetics. He was deeply involved in claiming that really secular philosophy matched Torah, and it did all sorts of damage to us because now we have to deal with these problems. Actually, much earlier than that, Perish Philoin, which is Yedidia Alexandri. That's Philo the Alexandrian. Philo the Alexandrian was a Hellenist Jew who was a philosopher who tried to reconcile uh, Greek philosophy with Jewish philosophy. Oh look, he says He wanted they they all wanted to they all wanted to uh, make Terra match the prevailing ideas of the time, archaeological, scientific, philosophical. And even though they had good kavana, they wanted to make things better. It's just not true, and all it's done is cause problems for us. Okay. So we have here a really good idea of what the Rebbe says when we have new information on how to incorporate it into our old books. The Rebbe is telling us in a footnote, great, tell me the other Girsais, if they're legitimate, if they're not from a Geniza. But if we're finding other Girsais from other countries, sure, throw in another Girsa in, in a footnote. Throw in another Girsa on the side of the page. But absolutely don't make a new commentary. Absolutely don't have Bible critics and professors and academics involved in making commentaries on Tanakh. And... Um, Really, most of all, recognize that you're fighting the wrong battle right now. You're still trying to play this game where Terra says to the secular world, look, we're secular too, like us. And the modern generation of Jews who are leaning secular, they actually don't even want that anymore. You're fighting a war that has already been fought and won by our side. And, uh, and now what we're dealing with is trying to teach people things that they don't understand, things like Rashi that needs a new, needs an update. So I'd much rather see, says the Rebbe, an update of the way that Rashi, Mitzvah, Stav, Mitzvah, see and the classic commentaries written with Ruach HaKedosh were written, rather than you trying to bring in new scholastic, new academic ideas.
I did want to show you one more thing. Although it'll put us way over time. Uh, I'm going to do it anyway. And if you have to leave, please feel free to leave. But let's do one more thing because I, I can't do this as its own class. Uh, we have one more on this topic. And this was written to, <coughs> excuse me, to Shazar. The Rebbe writes to Shazar, the president of Israel. Um, and the reason why he writes to Shazar, uh, I mean, he writes to Shazar a lot. The reason why I'm surprised he wrote to Shazar about this is he's telling Shazar to shut down an academic project at Hebrew University. They're in the middle of doing something at Hebrew University, a line of research, a book, and the Rebbe wants them to stop and says it'll be terribly damaging for the Jewish people. And he, he tells them to call it off. Try to get a little more of this water, see if I can talk. <clears throat> okay, wish me luck. <clears throat> the Rebbe says down here, the letter is, excuse me, the letter is Chei, Tavshin Pei Hei. It's from Tavshin Chaf Dalid. And the Rebbe writes, <laughs> Something has come to my attention that if it ends up happening, if it comes into action, the Rebbe says, it's come to my attention that there's a, that uh, if that something might happen, and if this happens, we're going to create a new machlekes, and it's going to create a new uh, a new um, a new light for the Yitzhahara, and uh, specifically among those who are coming closer to Yiddishkeit, it's going to find, it's going to, uh, it's going to push them away. So the Rebbe says, I'm seeing something that could be really counterproductive. I'm going to skip this uh, paragraph and go right here. What is the thing I'm talking about? As I've been informed, I've been informed that the university, that the Hebrew University of Yerushalayim is planning to put out a new version of the Torah Shebeksav. They want to put out a new Torah. Not a new commentary on the Torah, a new Torah. They want to base this on uh, recent discoveries and on recent Kisveyad that have shown up. For example, among them, the Ksaviyad that is called the Aleppo Codex, which is the Kesotera. That's the one that was found in, that, was, that was kept carefully in Syria. Then now we have an Eretz Israel. They want to take these old ones, Aleppo Codex and the like, and they don't just want to write a new commentary in the footnotes. Well, first of all, they don't just want to write footnotes, and they don't even want to do what Rabbi Zevin wanted to do, which was write a commentary. They want to put out a new updated Torah that they say is correct. The implication being that our Torah is wrong. Now we have more science. We know what the Torah really says. Not only that, even prior generations that didn't like the Torah and that pushed back against authentic Yiddishkeit, uh, even when their even when their Yitzharas trapped them and made them do horrible things to Torah, things like Bible criticism, things like non-literal interpretation, things like saying God didn't write the Torah, God forbid. Even those people, they never changed the actual text of the Torah. This is the first time that people are saying that they're going to actually change the nosach of the Codex itself. The Rebbe says, I'd like to add that a good deal of the Codex is missing. Uh, as far as I hear, we are missing at least a third of it. So they plan on filling in a third with random other codices, anything but our Torah. And the Rebbe says that they are, uh, they're planning on, they're planning on um, at basically making a new Torah. The Rebbe says it should be understood that this would cause an incredible storm uh, and uh, make it make incredible dividers between B'nai Yisrael when it comes to Torah Shabbat And he writes in this paragraph, we're running out of time, even on our Zoom call, so now I really do have to speed up, that uh, that although we've had differences as Yidin throughout the past, the big, the big thing that's always united us is at least the words on the Torah scroll we all have. That's been the only uniting factor. Even people who didn't believe in the words at least had the words. So this is going to create a division that we never had before. You really want to cause an enormous division in the Jewish people? Give us two separate Torah scrolls so you don't know which one's the proper Torah. What adds to this Sakana, the Rebbe says, Magdala Sakana, 
Another thing adds to the Sakana. The Rebbe says another problem is they're going to be calling this the uh, the pure science edition of Torah. Now, this is what happens when we do when pure science is followed, we get this text that we've done the work, we've done the archaeology, implying that their new edition is one that uh, is, is, the, is the pure scientific edition. This is the Rebbe making a joke. Says that uh, well, it, 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 they're, they're saying this as though as though our Nusach of our Torah was made up by some guy, and that they're putting out an edition that was made up by the best scientists in the world. Um, but that's not at all the case. So I also it also is uh, disparaging to our existing Torah. Now the Rebbe says, even though some of these changes, as I've been informed, are not built in Kokach. Really, the Aleppo Codex is pretty close to the Torah. We're not talking big changes. We're talking basically a couple of vowelization changes to the Masoretic text. Not major stuff. Uh, sometimes a word is written with an extra word or a missing word. It's not big differences. The Rebbe says, I don't care. I don't care that they're very minor changes because the big problem here is that we're dividing the Jewish people and separating hearts from Hashem. Now the Rebbe says down here, this is important for us, and with this we'll probably have to conclude. The Rebbe says, I am not in my letter saying to discard Kisveyad. So this is a lot different from what we saw last time. What we saw yesterday was that the Rebbe is saying things like the Dead Sea Scrolls, we can discard them completely. They were put in a Geniza. They probably were simply wrong. The Rebbe says, I'm not saying that here. Here, I'm not dealing with Genizas. I'm not dealing with things that we think are not reliable. I'm not saying these Kisveyad are not reliable. I'm not saying the Aleppo Codex isn't a reliable text. I'm not saying that. Adrava, opposite the Rebbe says. I'm just saying don't touch the text we have. Use the Nosach, use the text we've always had. Specifically, and then I want you to make notes and footnotes and side notes and put the different versions that exist. Because the more you put that out, the better. The Rebbe says, the, the more of that, the better. I want that. So the Rebbe does want us to take these old Kisveyad, these other versions, and put them in the in the footnotes of the text, put them in the notes on the back of the text to note that other versions exist. The Rebbe is not afraid of it all. He doesn't think that's going to cause peiruz al peiruz or going to cause sveikas and emona. The Rebbe wants us to, if we find legitimate new editions of the Torah or old editions of the Torah, legitimately different ones, to put them in notes. But don't you dare touch the text. And then the Rebbe says in this paragraph over here, as is the way of scientists nowadays, I'm not allowed to get into this discussion unless I quote a certain professor. That's what the Rebbe says here. Uh, and although this isn't really my field, nonetheless, I can quote a professor who did this this way. And who does he quote? Same one he quoted in the previous letter. The German, the German uh, philosopher, the German writer Kittel, when he wrote his commentary, even though he was going after the terror in a lot of ways, he uh, he nonetheless did not touch the original text and kept it as footnotes. So the Rebbe says, what I'm saying they should do here, that they should only put these in footnotes and not put out a new edition. If you're going to make me quote my sources, I will. There are great professors who have done this as well, and I'm uh, I'm completely in safe territory. As the Rebbe goes on to speak about how important it is to uh, to make sure this doesn't happen. The Rebbe says, even if the Aleppo Codex was totally complete and not missing most of not missing a third of its information, I would say this, especially given that we're missing a lot of the Codex, we don't even know how reliable it is exactly because we are missing good version of it. They're using extra Kisveyad to fill it in. It's not the most reliable text anyway, says the Rebbe, but even if it was reliable, I would be saying this, never touch the text itself. So in summary, 
What we have today is a slightly different version of what we had yesterday. Yesterday, we talked about how things that we don't know the provenance of, we don't know where they came from, we can't really use in our tradition at all. When we see a picture of a menorah and it has rounded branches, we can't say, therefore, our menorah branches are rounded because we don't know how reliable the person drawing the picture was. We don't know what they were drawing a picture of. When I find uh, a different version of the Torah in a, in a trash pile, I can't say that that's a different version of the Torah that existed once. Might be they threw it out because it was wrong. However... What we looked at today is more legitimate sources, things like the Aleppo Codex, things like the Leningrad Codex, different versions of Tanakh and, and of Torah, Sifrei Torah that have been found throughout the ages. But now that we're analyzing them, we're seeing slight differences. How did these slight differences come up? Unclear. Somebody's not right. That's for sure. But does it make sense for us to know about these? The Rebbe says, yeah. The Rebbe says, the more you publish these, the better. However, don't publish them in the text itself. The original text of the Torah must remain unchanged. The one that we all have, that we're using right now, the one we passed down from generation to generation, that's the primary text. And if you want to incorporate uh, modern findings, make sure you put them in footnotes and keep them away from the major discussion. As an aside, though, what the Rebbe said to Rabbi Zevin really also applies here, which is, I'm not sure why we need this. Uh, the current generation does not necessarily want this. We're fighting a war that we won a long time ago. Uh, there was a generation once that simply wouldn't look at a Tanakh that was not academic and scholastic and using the most recent findings. We don't have those people so much anymore nowadays, and this is absolutely still true. Um, when, I was on a, when I was on a college campus, when I talked to college students, you just don't have a lot of them saying, I really wish I had a legitimate analysis of Torah and front of me. They want to know what our religion says according to our religion, not what our religion says according to scientific discoveries. So the truth is, I'm not sure that this is necessary at all. Neither is the Rebbe. But if you want to do it, as long as you're incorporating legitimate sources and those legitimate other versions are not in the name of the text, they're put in the footnotes or in side notes or in notes at the end of the book. Okay, I know we went super long today, but I think we really covered this topic uh, almost completely in the Rebbe Shita on what to do with uh, old discoveries. Thank you all very much.